Today's scripture reading is taken from Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise for ca- to carve idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell them of you. This is the word of God. Morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, Great job, you so encouraged to have all of you participate in the service. So if you find them after the service, do go up to them and encourage them. I think they've done a, they've served us really well this morning. So do encourage them after the service. Just grab a youth and just kind of speak words of encouragement to them. Uh, let's pray together as we prepare our hearts to receive God's word. Gracious Father, we thank you that you have sent your son, the servant not to be served, but to serve. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for how he's come willingly uh, to lay down his life for the undeserving. And Father, we we thank you for such a gentle and compassionate Saviour. And Father, we pray that as we come around your word, Father, we do pray that your spirit would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears to receive your truth. And Father, move our hearts to love you, to love your Son, and to follow him. Father, bless the preaching of your word. Bless us as we hear your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have heard of the reality TV show Undercover Boss? Anyone? Yeah, well, some of you. <laughs> well, un- Undercover Boss uh, you know, was a reality TV show that ran for about six years, you know, between 2010 to 2016. Uh, I mean, the, the idea of the, of the show is quite simple. Uh, you know, you have CEOs and other top executives of you know, well-known companies. You know, they would disguise themselves and then take on the lowest level jobs in their companies. So, so for a week or so, they would, they would just disguise themselves and take on these jobs. And the, the point is, they wanted to see how things were really on the ground. You know, they wanted to interact with uh, you know, just really junior employees to find out what they were thinking, how they were thinking about the company, how the company was really functioning. And so during that one week, they would disguise themselves and hidden cameras would follow them around. 
to see how they would interact, to see how, what employees were saying to them. And at the end of the show, there's that dramatic reveal when, when the, these employees that the boss has interacted with, they, they gather into a room and the boss shows up and you know, he's, suddenly you see these shocked faces on the employees like, whoa, you know, I, I didn't recognize you, but you, know, you actually turned out to be the boss. And that's when the employees who are doing well, they get rewarded. And then those who uh, are bad workers, you know, they, they finally get their just desserts. So it's a nice, nice idea, nice ending to the show, Undercover Boss. I think we all like the idea of bosses sort of laying aside their position and status and becoming like one of us. You know, how many of you wish you could say to your boss, if you only knew the amount of work I did? <laughs> you know, how many of you would want to say to your boss, you know, like, if you only understood what I go through Mondays to Fridays, what, what you put me through Mondays to Fridays? I think we all like the idea of a boss who does, is not far from us, but, but someone who actually enters our world and becomes like us, who really understands us and helps us. Now, who, who, who wouldn't want a boss like that? What if God was an undercover boss? You know, this, this might surprise us. We often think of God as, you know, high and up there in the heavens. You know, perhaps we, we think of God as somewhat distant. You know, yeah, we believe in God. We, we worship Him. We sing praises to Him. But, but He seems quite distant, maybe quite removed from us. You know, especially quite removed from our lives Mondays to Saturdays, right? You know, the rough and tumble of our lives God can seem quite distant from all that, you know, quite, quite different from the experience that we have at church, perhaps. Now, maybe some of us are asking this morning, where is God when life hurts? Where is God when life hurts? Where is God when we struggle with trials? When we struggle with discouragements? Some of, you are, some of us are tired. You know, where is God in the midst of our exhaustion, in the midst of our disappointments with life? Now, the people of Judah, so many years ago, were probably wondering the same thing. In 586 BC, they lost their land to the Babylonians. The Babylonians invaded and Judah was exiled from the land. And what's worse is that they, Judah, they brought this on themselves. Now, this was their own doing. Judah was supposed to be a faithful nation, a faithful servant to God, but, but they all turned away from God. And they brought this judgment on themselves, on themselves, and their relationship with God as a result was broken because of their unfaithfulness. They were removed from the homeland. And as they tried to rebuild their shattered lives in strange lands, you know, they would have wondered, you know, as, as they lived, as they moved to these strange lands, they would have wondered, you know, does God still care about them? You know, where was God? Was God still with them? You know, have, have, had they like sinned away any hope of reconciliation with God? So God speaks into these dark times through Isaiah, his prophet. You know, this part of Isaiah that we're about to look at from chapters 40 to 55 uh, are known as the book of comfort. You know, the title is really taken from uh, the first verse of chapter 40. You know, comfort, comfort my people. 
written more than 100 years before Judah went into exile, these chapters, 40 to 55, were meant to strengthen God's people as they coped with life in a strange land. In a land where their masters, their bosses, were less than hospitable, were less than understanding. You know, at the heart of this message of encouragement and hope, at the heart of this message of comfort in, in chapters 40 to 55, is actually one person. One person. He's called the servant. The servant of God. You know, these chapters tell us that God will raise up a faithful servant who will comfort his wayward people. You know, like an undercover boss, this servant enters the lives of God's people to know them and to serve them. In, in fact, we, we learn that this servant suffers with and for God's people, bringing hope and salvation, not just to, God's, not just to Israel, but to the world. So as we approach Christmas, we're about a month away from Christmas, as we approach Christmas, we'll be looking at uh, this servant in the book of Isaiah. Beginning with this Sunday, we'll be looking at four passages in Isaiah that, talk us, that tell us about this servant. Chapters 42, 49, 50, and then 52 and 53. Uh, you know, when you put all these passages together about the servant, we have a very rich and vivid portrait of who this servant is and what he will come to do. So do you want to understand the true meaning of Christmas? You know, that's a bit of a cliche, right? The true meaning of Christmas. Well, the best way to understand what Christmas is all about is to actually get to know this servant that Isaiah speaks of in these chapters. In fact, verse 1 of our text in Isaiah 42 tells us to behold God's servant, to, to look at him. Don't look anywhere else. Look at him. Look at this servant. So let's begin. You know, what is this servant like? That's our first point. What is the servant like? Isaiah tells us that the servant is specially chosen by God to serve his people. God entrusts this servant with a rescue mission, and, and God says, I will uphold my servant and strengthen him, how? With my spirit. In the Old Testament, God gave his spirit to enable people to do his will. You know, the act of anointing with oil in the Old Testament was a symbol of God's gift of the spirit to his people. So in the Old Testament, you have several classes of people who were especially anointed with oil. You had the prophets, you had the priests, and yet you had the kings, all anointed with oil, a symbol of God giving them the Spirit to equip them to serve Him. In, in 1 Samuel 16, you remember the story, Samuel the prophet, he, he takes the oil, what does he do? He, he pours it on the head of David. And that's a symbol of David being specially chosen by God to be God's king, and, and God pouring His Spirit, the oil symbolizes that, God pouring His Spirit on David, anointing him as king. And we're told that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And in the same way, Isaiah 42 tells us that God anoints the servant with His Spirit. He is the anointed one. Uh, the Messiah, which, which means anointed one. The Christ, which is just a Greek way of saying Messiah. 
And he's, and he's not just a servant. The fact that he's similar with David tells us that he's also a king. There's, there's royalty here in Isaiah 42. And this is important because in the Old Testament, kings were Israel's greatest problem. You know, kings were Israel's greatest problem in the Old Testament. You know, if you read the history of Israel in the Old Testament, when, when the kings were good, the nation did well. But sadly, more often than not, the kings were terrible. And as a result, because of the king, the nations were taken down together with their king. You know, we, we see this happening as well, right? I mean, we, we see how important authority is to the lives of people under authority. You know, recently, we heard about how Robert Mugabe just stepped down, you know, somewhat unwillingly, after almost 40 years of, in power, and he, cling, he, cling, he clung on to power for almost 40 years, and as a result, Zimbabwe was essentially bankrupted as a nation. You know, his people suffered because of his authority. Now, let's pray for the new president that things will get better. Israel was meant to be God's faithful servant, but the nation disobeyed God because of their king, and they were taken into disobedience with their king. Now, like Israel, God has made us to know him and to be faithful to him. And also, like Israel, all of us have turned away from God. We, we live according to our own ways. You know, if, if someone would ask me, who's, who's king in my life, really? Sometimes I would have to say, actually, myself. I, I'm, I'm kind of king over my life because I want to do things my way. So we've, we've all, like Israel, we've all turned aside to our own ways. But because God made us in His own image, you know, we, we cannot find true joy apart from Him. And the Bible says that we, we're actually most human and we're most happy and we're most free, not apart from God, but actually with God because He made us. He made us to know Him and to enjoy Him. And God tells us in His Word that we, we need, we're not meant to live lives on our own, but we need a faithful King who will rule over us, who will lead us, we need someone of God's own choosing who will lead us and rule over our lives. And this servant that Isaiah speaks about, he, he is faithful and he obeys God for our sake. And God delights in this servant. You know, some of us would find that a bit hard to receive because you know, we've, perhaps some of us have become distrustful of authority. You know, the idea of submitting your life to and authority can seem really distasteful. It's like, are you, are you kidding me? You know, I, I want autonomy to kind of do what I think is best for myself. I mean, that, that I think is, is where true happiness is found, right? But is that the case? Should that be the case? You know, some of us may have been hurt by bad authority in our lives. You know, may have been an abusive parent, or absent parent, you know, maybe an unreasonable boss, maybe an unfaithful pastor, or even unjust government. I mean, all of us perhaps have been hurt by some form of bad authority in our lives. And maybe this has made us distrustful of authority, and in some cases, rightly so. But God's true servant, 
in Isaiah 42, we must remember that he's not like the leaders and rulers of this world. You know, the leaders and rulers of this world, the, the, the authority structures of this world, ultimately only care about self-preservation. Right? The, the authority structures of this world ultimately are self-serving. They care about their own interests. But Isaiah 42 tells us that this servant, he, he doesn't boast about himself. You know, Isaiah 42 tells us that he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. What does that mean? It, me- it means that he, he doesn't come to, to show off his power. He doesn't come to boast about how influential or, 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 or wealthy or rich he is. He, he doesn't come to be served, but he comes to serve. You know, Isaiah tells us that this servant is humble and his kingdom is one of peace. And, and this servant invites us you know, to put aside our distrust of authority and to, and, to, and to come to Him. He invites us to come to Him because in Him, there is goodness. In Him, there is blessing. In Him, there is such a thing as good authority. And He invites us to trust Him, to enter His kingdom and experience the blessing of His rule. The servant Isaiah tells us is also gentle and compassionate. The Bruce read and faintly burning wick are pictures of weakness, vulnerability, and brokenness. But Isaiah tells us that the servant will not break the bruised reed. The, the servant will not take advantage of weakness. He will not quench the faintly burning wick. This servant will not discourage or crush the broken. Now, for some of us, the, we are well acquainted with the troubles of life, aren't we? You know, the, the cares and worries of life have worn us down. You know, for some of us, it may be a long-term illness, chronic pain, or it could be being a caregiver to someone who is suffering from long-term illness or chronic pain. And for others of us, it may be a difficult relationship that we are struggling with, that we are bearing the weight off, a difficult relationship with a spouse, with a parent, with a child, with a teenager. It could be a difficult relationship with a colleague at work, with a good friend that you've become estranged with. We struggle with perhaps prolonged unemployment. Some of us, or I think many of us, struggle with our own sins. We struggle with spiritual coldness in our lives. I mean, the, the, the struggles and troubles of life for us are many. We are worn out. We are exhausted. You know, some of us are depressed, probably despairing of hope in some cases. The servant calls people like us. The good news is that the servant calls people like us. Uh, the servant doesn't call the the well-put-together people who are kind of making a way for themselves. The, the servant doesn't call the strong, those who are able to kind of save themselves. The, the servant doesn't help those who help themselves. No, the, the servant comes to call the Bruce Reeds. The, the servant comes to call the, the faintly 
burning wick, you know, maybe that's a description of your spiritual life, you know, kind of faintly burning, close to being extinguished. That the servant comes to call people like that, people like us who struggle. Isaiah tells us that this servant is full of gentleness, he's full of compassion. He doesn't expect us to have it all together before he receives us. No, indeed, he wants us to come to him with our brokenness, with our weakness, to lay all that at his feet. And Isaiah says he will strengthen, he will help us. Now, perhaps some of us here need to see more clearly our own weakness and brokenness. Now, maybe life is good. You know, and, and in the midst of our prosperity, in the midst of our thriving, our success, you know, maybe pride has entered into our hearts. You know, maybe, maybe we don't see very clearly our need for God's grace in our lives. You know, perhaps we are relying on our own strength and our own righteousness. You know, maybe, maybe we also secretly despise those who are weak. We, we kind of look, secretly look down on them and we despise the weakness that we see in others. You know, wh- where do we see that? We get impatient. We easily get impatient and frustrated with the slowness and weaknesses of others. That's when you know that pride has entered our hearts and, and made us actually blind to our need for a Savior. We should remember that the servant doesn't come to the strong. He comes to save the weak and the broken. And, and until we, we get a sense of our own weakness, of our own need, of our own brokenness, until we understand that, we will not see our need for this saviour, for this servant. What will the servant do? It's point two. What will the servant do? Uh, the servant's mission is to establish justice in the earth. You see this in verse 1, 3, and 4, the word justice, kind of mentioned a couple of times. You know, we, we typically understand the word justice to mean the rule of law or the fair treatment of people. But in the Bible, the, the word justice has a, a far richer meaning than, than just the rule of law. In, in the Bible, the word justice has to do with God's righteous character. It's who God is. The word justice has to do with how this righteous God has ordered all of creation. It's really His created order. You know, when God says, I, I made all things and it is good, that's justice, that, that's righteousness, the order of God's creation. You know, God is like a, a, a master designer and builder. He, he's made all things, and, and, and all things are meant to function according to His instructions. Right? Like a good builder, you leave a good set of instructions, and, and all things are meant to function according to God's instructions. And when that happens, there is justice, there is righteousness, there's goodness in this world. And the entire universe is supposed to work according to God's ways. That's justice. But sin has entered in, and sin has messed things up. And because we're all fallen in sin, this world is not as it's supposed to be. I think someone said that you know, the doctrine of sin is one of the doctrines where we can actually see evidence for very clearly. You know, just, just live life in a world. You know, just, just go to work on Mondays. You, know, you see just evidence of brokenness and fallenness all around you. 
But God has sent His servant to restore justice, to, to restore God's order of creation in this world. The servant comes and he comes to make right all the wrongs. He comes to put right everything that is wrong in the world. The, the servant comes to establish God's kingdom and to bring about blessing, you know, shalom, right? love, joy, peace, blessing. The servant comes to bring all that, Isaiah tells us. And the servant comes to make all things right, not just for the Jews only, but for the nations as well. It says to the ends of the earth, to, to the nations, the coastlands. You know, missions begins with the missionary God who sends his servant to save the peoples of the world. He sends his servant to bless the nations, the peoples from every language, nation, ethnicity, and culture. Uh, do we groan over the brokenness of this world? Tomorrow when you go to work, you know, tomorrow when you start the week, I think some of us will very quickly encounter fallenness in this world, whether in our workplaces or in our families. Do we, do we groan over the brokenness of this world? I think we should all pursue mercy and justice in the world, whether in our jobs or in our families. We should all be pursuing what makes for mercy and justice. No, but Isaiah 42 tells us that our confidence is ultimately not in our own efforts, but our confidence and our hope is placed on the servant. He's the one, and indeed he's the only one, who can heal the brokenness of this fallen world. And, and thanks to the servant, there will be one day when there will be no more sickness, no more sorrow or sin, there will be no more disease or death, all the wrongs will be put right. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And Isaiah tells us, this servant will do that. And we're meant to look to him for hope and rest. How will the servant fulfill his mission? Now, how will the servant bring justice in this way? If you look at verse 4, there's a hint that the servant will have to suffer in order to do God's will. It says he will not grow faint or be discouraged. Now, the, fact that, the fact that it's mentioned that he will not grow faint or be discouraged implies that this servant will face trouble, this servant will have to suffer in order to do God's will. But in the face of suffering, this servant will not give up. He will persevere until the end in order to obey God. This servant will persevere through suffering and at the end of suffering, this servant will say, it is finished. It is finished. It is done. Now, this servant suffers with us. This servant suffers for us. Now, th th that's, why our, that's why we can trust that this servant knows us because this servant enters into our suffering as well. This servant is acquainted with grief. He's a man of sorrows. And, and because he knows our suffering, in, indeed he suffers for us, this servant is well able to save us. So do you struggle with suffering? You know, Isaiah invites you, come and know this servant because he knows you. He knows your suffering. He suffered for you. And you can trust him.
you can find comfort and rest in Him. You know, God Himself will ensure that His servant succeeds. Isaiah tells us in this passage that He is the Almighty Creator. Verse 5, He made the heavens and the earth and He gives life and breath to all people. And He's not just the Creator, He's also the one who controls all of human history. Verse 9, God knows what will happen, everything that will happen, because He's the one who planned all that will happen. So this God, the Creator and the Sovereign God, He will see to it that this servant succeeds in his mission. And he says, Isaiah says at the end of this passage, that God will not share His glory and praise with idols. He says, don't trust in things that cannot save. No, God will not share His glory with those things. Instead, trust in God alone, this sovereign Creator God. Now, are we trusting in this God? Now, are we trusting in this God who is sovereign? Are we trusting in this God who made the heavens and the earth? Now, what are we trusting in? Are we trusting in idols, things that cannot save? You know, idols are not just things that we bow down to, right? The physical uh, depictions of, of various things. But, but an idol is anything that we place our trust in apart from God. Now, an idol is anything that we give loyalty and devotion to apart from God. You know, so, so our idols can look quite sophisticated. Things like our health, our wealth, you know, we... We, we trust that life is good because we are healthy. We try, we, we, we're happy because we have possessions. They make us feel secure. You know, some of us trust in our cleverness, our ability to get things done. Some of us trust in our success, uh, in our own achievements, how we've got, we've, we've got on well in life. Now, what do we trust in? Are we trusting in these things to give ourselves happiness and security? You know, maybe, maybe answer this question in your own heart. You know, I need blank in order to be happy and secure. You know, fill in that blank. I need blank in order to be happy and secure. You know, what, what will we put in that blank? Now, what we write in that blank reveals what we trust in, and what we trust in reveals who we really worship or what we really worship. And, and Isaiah says to us, hey, God needs to be in that blank. I need God in order to be happy and secure. And, and not just any puny God, but, but the God who made the heavens and the earth the God who is sovereign, the, the God who has given us His servant in order to save us. We, we, we need Him and Him alone in order to be happy and secure. Now, only God deserves our complete trust because only this God is completely trustworthy. Anything else we trust in cannot bear the weight of hope that we place on it. Our, our, our idols cannot bear the weight of expectation that we put on them. Only God can. 
the servant restores our relationship with God. Isaiah tells us that this servant is a covenant for the people. Through the servant, God establishes a covenant, a new covenant that opens up the way for us to know God and to belong to Him as His people. And He commits Himself to be our God and He takes us to be His people. The servant restores our relationship with God. You know, sin blinds us. Right? I think sin is blinding. Sin blinds us to the reality of God. You know, while we remain in sin and away from God, we're actually not free. We're actually held captive by our sinful desires and our fears. That's what sin does to us. You know, give you, let me give you an example. You know, like, you know, the, the sin of fearing man. You know, the, you know, do we struggle with the fear of man? I think that's quite a common sin struggle for many of us. I know I struggle with the fear of man. And when I struggle with this sin of the fear of man, I'm actually not free. Why? Because I, I live my life to please others. You know, I live my life for the approval of someone else. And I'm actually held captive by the approval of other people. So that, that's an example of how our sinful desires, our sin kind of holds us captive. You know, we, we live to please ourselves and we're actually not free. We're kind of enslaved by our desires, enslaved by our wants. And sin blinds us to the glorious reality of God. Sin turns us in on ourselves so that all we see are our own little worlds, our own desires, our own ambitions, our own pleasures, comforts, our own security. You know, sin kind of turns us in on ourselves so that we're all only concerned with those things. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote these very insightful words. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote these words. He says, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. C.S. Lewis then ends with these words, We are far too easily pleased. You know, sin sort of makes, us, make, makes our desires too small. It makes our joys too small. But indeed, God has made us for far greater pleasure. You know, God has made us for far greater joy. Joy that sin can never give. God has made us for the infinite joy of knowing Him, of, of delighting in Him, of having Him delight in us. That's true joy. Uh, sin kind of blinds us to that. But Isaiah says, the servant is our light. Uh, the servant comes and he, he opens our eyes he, so that we're no longer blind. The servant comes to open our eyes so that we behold the, the glory and beauty and majesty of God. So that we, we find in God our true rest, our true joy, our true comfort. You know, sin kind of blinds us to all that, but the servant comes and he opens our eyes to see that, to see God himself. You know, listen to what Isaiah says in chapter, 30, in chapter 35. The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap 
like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Who's the servant? Who's the servant that we've been talking about? Hear what God says to Jesus at his baptism. When, when God anoints Jesus with his spirit, God says these words to Jesus. This is my beloved son, now with whom I am well pleased, which is the echo of Isaiah 42, in whom my soul delights. Now Jesus is God's beloved son. Jesus is the servant in whom God delights. God himself has come in the flesh, in the person of his son, Jesus. Jesus is like that undercover boss. He's entered our world, becoming just like us in order to save us. Now, God is not distant or uncaring, but he's really drawn near to us that we may know him. And Jesus didn't come with the splendor of an earthly king. He wasn't rich. He wasn't famous. You know, in fact, Jesus told people not to make him known because he didn't want people to get the wrong ideas about him. Jesus didn't come to serve his own agenda, but to do the will of his heavenly Father. Jesus came as a servant. And he said this of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And some years after that, Paul the Apostle wrote these words about Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, held on to selfishly, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus came as a servant, he obeyed God, and he served us by bearing the guilt and shame of our sin in order that we, undeserving, unfaithful servants, in order that we might be brought back to God. Jesus is the gentle saviour that we need. He didn't come to crush us. He came to lift us up. He came to lift up those who have been weighed down by sin, weighed down by the troubles of life, in the fallen world, Jesus comes to give hope to the hopeless, strength to the weak, courage to the downcast. You know, hear, hear these words about Jesus in Hebrews 4. You know, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is the gentle servant that we all need. Let's come to him. How should we follow the servant? Last point. How should we follow the servant? God calls us to trust him, to stop running away from him, to stop trusting in our idols, things that cannot save. And God calls us to come to the servant, to find in him true joy and comfort. And as we come to the servant, God calls us to be like the servant. 
To be like Jesus, we must serve like Jesus. To be like Jesus, we must be humble. True humility. Now, you know, true humility is costly. Because, because what is humility? Humility means I die to myself, right? To be truly humble, I need to die to myself. And to be truly humble, I need to be willing to sacrifice my self-centeredness, my personal agenda. To be truly humble, I need to lay these things aside, you know, my preferences, my opinions, even my rights in order to serve someone else. I need to lay aside my comfort, my convenience, the things that I hold most dear. I need to be willing to lay these aside in order to serve someone else. That, that's, that's humility. That's the humility of Christ. Humility is costly. Now, Jesus left the glories of heaven to serve the undeserving like us. Now, surely we can follow in his footsteps because he saved us to be his people. What does it look like to be humble in this way? Let me close by just giving us some things to think about as we follow the servant. We're called to serve with the humility of Christ. And when I talk about serve, I don't just mean get things done. You know, sometimes, you know, in a task-oriented country like Singapore, when we think of the word serve, we always think, I need to do a lot of things. You know, like I get busy, I get busy in church, I do a lot of things, I'm serving. Well, that's great, but, but I, wanna, I want us to think about what it really means to serve. It's not to just get things done, but to serve means to serve people. You know, and sometimes I think we, we get things done at the expense of people and relationships. But that's not the way of the servant. The servant comes not to just get things done, but the servant comes to serve people. So what does it look like to serve people? It means that we don't prioritize the task or the objectives over the relationship. Relationship, people, they always take priority even if it means getting less things done. Right? We come to serve people, to love them, to, to build them up as the servant has done for us. So, so let's take kind of some practical steps to serving one another in these ways. Introduce yourself to someone new. I mean, that's a really good way to serving the people around you. you know, look around you. Are there people that you don't recognize? Introduce yourself to them. Right? Don't assume that they know you, but take the step to introduce yourself to them. You know, build relationships across the church. Be, be willing to step out of your comfort zones, your, your familiar relationships, in order to get to know more of the church. I mean, that, that's a form of serving people as well. Get to know the youths who have served us so well today. Now, don't just say, hello, you know, whose child are you? But more like, get to know them for who they are. Right? Get, get to know them for who they are. Introduce yourself to them. Get to know them. You know, kind of expo- sort of tell them about yourself. Encourage them. Get to know, get to know the young couples in our midst. You, know, you, you, you may not be aware, but we have about, I think, six couples over the next year or so who are getting married. So, so get to know them. Uh, there are these young couples in our midst who, who do desire community who do desire deeper relationships, especially with older couples. So if you're an older couple, get to know some of these younger couples, encourage them as they begin uh, the journey of married life together. 
you know, practice hospitality by inviting others into your life. That, that's a wonderful way to serve as the servant has done. Be intentional by asking one another just really simple questions. You know, a question like, how are you doing? You know, how, how are you really doing? Right? Take the time to ask those questions and sit down with the person, pray with the person, ask them, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you this week? I mean, those are just very simple ways of serving people, not just getting things done, serving people. Following the servant also means being gentle and compassionate with others. Uh, we need to really watch out and beware of being judgmental and critical of others. You know, a, a critical spirit in the church is very, very harmful to all the kinds of relationships that I've just talked about. It's a sure way to kill relationships. Being critical is a sure way to discourage serving in the church. Now remember that we follow the gentle servant king. You know, he wasn't critical of us. Instead, he comes to lift us up, to strengthen us in our weakness. You know, if we really understood that, how can we be critical of someone else whom Christ has lifted up? You know, there will be occasions when we need to point out one another's sins, where we need to point out one another's faults. Yes, there will be times to do that. But I pray that as we do that, we do so not in the spirit of being critical, but we do that in the spirit of love, of humility. And when we do so, we, we also prepare to enter that person's world, not, not simply criti criticizing them from afar, but we're willing to enter that person's world just as Christ has done for us. And we're willing to enter their world and to build them up as well. Not just to criticize them, but to also speak truth, but to speak truth and love to them in order to build them up, to help them follow Jesus better. Our Heavenly Father is calling us to restore and bear one another's burdens with the gentleness of Christ. In this world, in this fallen world, we face opposition and discouragement. But in this community, saved by this gentle servant, this community should be a place of safety. This community should be a place of refuge, of rest, of refreshment. Because Monday is tomorrow. And when we go back into the world tomorrow, we, we, it's best we, we've experienced the refreshment and the comfort and refuge of our heavenly family. So, so this community is that refuge of comfort and rest. So have compassion for one another. Have compassion especially for those who are suffering. Take the initiative to reach out to them, to build them up. Be present. Grieve with those who grieve. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Offer help. And those are just really practical ways of serving with gentleness and compassion. Be patient with one another's weaknesses. Be quick to forgive. Never allow our hearts to grow hard towards someone else. Remember, we, we serve a gentle saviour who's full of compassion. Let's, let's serve in that way. Friends, we, we are all bruised reeds. We were all broken and battered by sin. We're all broken and battered by life in a fallen world. But praise God that He sent His servant this gentle saviour 
And this gentle Savior has come and he, he says to us, He offers us, Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I, this servant, this gentle servant, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. So let's follow him and find true rest in him. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Father, we thank you for such an amazing Saviour and servant. Father, as we come to you, we confess how we have failed to live and serve as this servant has done. Father, times that we've been called to be gentle and compassionate, instead we have hardened our hearts, we have not forgiven, we have held grudges, and we have been cold to others. Father, as we come to you, we confess how we've not done these things and served according to how your servant has served us. And so, Father, as we come, we, we pray that you would help us. We pray that you would show us mercy and compassion. We pray that you would be gentle to us. And Father, we thank you that we have such an amazing Saviour, one who receives us not because we are deserving, but who receives us on the basis of his own merit. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to turn away from our sin, to turn away from our false idols, to turn away from ourselves, and to turn to this Saviour, to find in Him true rest, to find in Him comfort and grace and mercy. Father, move our hearts, we pray. Help us to love you, to love your Son, and to love one another. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.